and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Carissa Reininger, I am so excited to be able to share your story with the She's the Boss community because I love everything you're doing. So welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. My my absolute pleasure. So let's start off with you telling everybody what you're doing. So that's a a a nice big question. question. How much time do you have? (laughs) Plenty of time. I want to hear all of it because you're going to blow everyone's mind. Go on. (laughs) Okay. So I'll give the short version of a long story and then we can see where each of these things take us. Um, So the short version of a long story is that 16 years ago, I started a company called Silver Lining Mm -hmm. and our mission has and is, was and continues to be to help more small businesses succeed. Um, My background is in psychology. And so what what I realized early on and then I've innovated and adjusted multiple times over these 16 years to really realize the vision is that if we want to help small businesses succeed, it's not just about, you know, teaching someone how to read a PL or doing training programs or even, you know, doing random mentoring. Really, what behavior change science says, my background in psychology, that if we want to help people accomplish their goals, whatever that goal is, lose 10 pounds, stop smoking, uh, walk 10,000 steps, hit my financial goals in my business, whatever that goal is, there's actually a formula for, for structure and support. So we've built the Weight Watchers or the Fitbit for small businesses, which is tech enabled and data driven based in behavior change science and helps small business owners set their growth goals, but then gives them all of the structure and support and community and all of the things that science says we need to succeed. So that's, that's sort of our core work. Now, hang on, before Um, you go any further, I want you to explain to people what that support is, because that's the bit that really, to me, is a real clincher. Yes. Thank you for asking that. So basically what behavior change, and this is like a fun lesson for all of us. So for anyone who's listening, if there's any change you want to make, any goal you have, any change you want to make, the good news is that it's not easy to change and hit goals, but it is actually very simple. Behavior change science says that if we want to accomplish a result, we need to one, first gain commitment. We can, none of us can do anything unless we're fully committed to the outcome. We can't be sort of half in, half out. So gain commitment. In our case, that's signed up for the program. Uh, After you've gained commitment, you need to set modest goals. I think that is such interesting language. Modest goals, right? Because I'm a very ambitious person. I dream big, but I actually set what one would argue are modest goals, which is this idea that if we constantly set goals that are just quite literally impossible to achieve, we train our brain that we fail. We train ourselves that we can't succeed. And so it's really critical to actually set a modest goal, which means, yes, it's going to challenge us. Yes, it's going to stretch us. Yes, we're going to go for it. But we actually have a flying chance of succeeding. So we really work hard to help people set the right goals. Then once the goals are set, it says you've got to rigorously track behavior, get peer support, have outside accountability and coaching, build self-efficacy, get good at, learn how to succeed, and then ultimately instill new habits. So our translation of the science is what we call the five fingers of the slap experience. And so the first finger is slap center. We've built completely custom proprietary software which is where business owners build and then manage their one-year growth Mm -hmm. plan. 
Um, we have the second finger, which are our slap strategists. Our slap strategists are all people who have built multi-million dollar businesses yeah. who get certified in our methodology. And every single small business gets an individual one-on-one strategy call every single month with their slap strategist to talk strategy, optimize their plan, you know, keep thinking about what it takes to grow. And what's great about those people is they're not coaches and consultants. They're people who have been exactly right. where we They've are. They've done it. Know what it took them to get to the high levels of success that they have and are there to just help other people do the same. So that's the second finger. The third finger is what we call slap school. Jules, you're one of our fabulous experts. And basically, slap school is over 120 campaigns that are that are templated that people can add to their plan. So maybe someone says, I don't know how to do a press release. I don't know how to do media. We'd say, don't worry, go to slap school, take Jules's live class once a month and download her connecting campaign, her templated campaign into your action plan and follow the steps she gives you for how to set a press release as an example. So all of the mystery of how to market, sell, do online connecting, set up social media, do PR, do events, do cold call sales, all these things that we sort of stumble around as business owners, we've templated and have experts to help you do that in Slap School. And then Slap World is the fourth finger. That's where there's actually a public leaderboard, gamification. If Jules' score goes up, she might win a free vacation or a free laptop or she gets a shout out. And so there's a lot of fun. And then we also connect every small business in our network to each other to buy from each other, support each other, get involved with each other, to try each other, you know, create economy and win together. And then the last and the fifth, which I think is the least sexy, but the most important (laughs) part of what we do, uh, everyone's like, oh, I don't like this part, but it's the part that really makes the difference. We have a, we have a team of what are called slap experts. They are, they each go through a 400 hour certification program where they learn behavior change science, uh, small business realities are obviously how to use our software and our program. And they're available 24 seven, everything from WhatsApp to instant chat, to email to 1-800 number, phone number, whatever method works for people. And all we do, that's that team, the slap expert team, all they do all day long is help small business owners succeed all day long. So they're like your accountability coach, aren't they? Exactly. And all of that is, you know, so many small business owners spend so much time and money trying to piecemeal those elements. I'm going to be in this networking group and have this coach I talk to once a quarter and go over That's here right. and take That's this right. class. And when you do all that, A, it's really expensive. And B, it doesn't get you that end result of a, of a sort of aligned, organized, holistic approach, mm. all focused on hitting your goals. So it's really cool. It's really comprehensive. It's really affordable. We've put our, you know, I've put my life blood, sweat, tears, years into getting it to where it is. Um, but it's awesome. And we hope that it can help, you know, millions of small businesses around the world. Well, I have absolutely no doubt that it will. And I'm very excited to be involved. But this is only the tip of the iceberg. This is one of the things that you do. So now tell everybody some of the other things that you're doing with uh, just uh, sort of on the outside of Slap School, like the 5X impact and all those, and, and your finance yeah. and go on, tell everyone everything. It's extraordinary. We've got plenty of time. (laughs) So... So uh, at the beginning of 2021, actually, we launched a sister company to the main business called Silver Lining Finance. And one of the things, so SLAP is really focused on, our core business is focused on helping small businesses increase revenue, profitability, and sustainability. So we're really focused on helping small business owners make money doing what they love. Because we deserve to, you deserve to, it's possible. Um, What 
what's true is that sometimes you just need a loan. Sometimes you need alternative financing to bridge inventory, to bridge a bad cash flow month. And unfortunately, uh, and you know, we could talk about the reality for women in particular, but unfortunately it's true that the approval rates from banks for small businesses is abysmally low. Um, (laughs) And for women, a astoundingly worse. I mean, if someone wants to tell me there's not bias in the system, I will have a long chat about <laughs> that because that grow, is not true. Sure. <laughs> it's shocking. And I can tell you a story about that and I will. So basically the short version is uh, we lend 100% based on the behavioral data we have in SLAP. Uh, they're unsecured loans, fair interest rate, no personal guarantee. We don't look at credit scores. We don't look at cash flow. We don't ask for financial statements. We believe that small business owners are incredible. They work hard. They fight, they're resilient. Um, and we have a really, really liberal collections policy that is pro small business. Um, and I am convinced that when we lend to small business owners based on behavior and not these old patriarchal, biased, dumb systems that we currently lend, you know, bank based on, yeah. uh, we can change who's getting capital. Well, I mean, so how extraordinary really cool- is that, <laughs> that you are actually creating a new, you're disrupting the banking industry. I love it. And that you're looking We're working at on the it. person because, you know, there are a lot of people who do have cash flow problems, but who always pay everything back and are always great, you know, and they need to be considered as well. So exactly. And a really cool fact, actually, so far. So we just launched, like I said, um, 10 months ago. And so it's young, but very cool fact. Um, over 80% of our borrowers are women Very um, cool. and 76% are non-white founders, non-white business owners. And Brilliant. so what that tells me is that that's the unbanked that's population, right? right? The right? They're not getting loans. The gate- There's a massive hole. And so far, with the exception of one person who's fabulous and will absolutely get it figured out, we have a hundred percent repayment rate. Um, and the ones who are a little behind are the one who's a little behind. I know she'll figure it out. So it's, it is proof that we're, it's not, it's not that, you know, women entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs can't succeed. It's that there's a lot of systems that are wrong and flawed. And when we change the system and we get the structure and support right, um, then everything opens up. uh, So that's what we're determined to do. So now, Carissa, do you have to be part of SLAP school to be able to access silver lining finance or is it they're two separate things? Yeah, so you have to have a SLAP. So the the psychological profiling program. Yeah, because that's where we collect all the data. So basically, when you have a slap, we're using data points to help drive your behavior. So we can say, let's say that there's, you know, small business, you know, Susan, um, and she is doing these three things in this way. And she's feeling this way. And she missed these two calls, but she did that one thing that was really good. Our software is looking at all those data points and saying, okay, Based on all the data we have and what we know about Susan, if she just does these two things, we can help her increase her chance of success by 45%. So now we're going to create a ticket in the system. We're going to activate our SLAP experts to go and help Susan do those two things. Because we know if she just does those two things, it'll help her. That's right. So because we've got such fabulous data we're lending against that data. And we're taking all of the traditional metrics of credit worthiness completely out of the system and instead lending on That's that. extraordinary. And I, and I love it that you've found companies that are backing you for this and that, that, you know, are going, yep, we're up for it. Let's, let's have a look and see what happens. 
It's great. Yeah, it's really, it's really fun. And you know, it's um, we have a fabulous initial investor who's been incredibly supportive. Um, and it's and to your point, you know, I think the world knows it's time for change. Yeah. You know, no uh, doubt. we're looking at hopefully raising quite a bit of money next year to grow how much, you know, what our assets under management are so we can lend more. And there's a lot of people paying attention. Now, we all know that everyone says they want to make change. And then when it actually comes to making change, sometimes it doesn't go the way it's meant to. But I'll be really curious. I'm, I'm operating all of this from a place of curiosity. I'm I'm 100% committed that the change will happen. I think the question is always how, how fast can that change happen? How how quickly can we move the needle? Um but we're going for You it. are, and it's wonderful. Now, there's one more part to slap that you might like to share with everyone, which is your impact um, initiative. Yes. Yeah, so at Silver Lining, we're very mission-driven, and we talk about our global movement to celebrate and support small business and our global commitment to economic justice. So we run a movement called Thank You, Small Business, which is all about celebrating, supporting, and thanking small businesses for their contributions to their families, communities, and economy. Oh. It's like Think of it as like the Make-A-Wish Foundation for small businesses. It's and then our global amazing. commitment to economic justice is called Impact 5X, and it's based on the premise that if you're a small business owner, it's just really hard to succeed. Full stop, period. <laughs> you know, you don't need any qualifications around it. It's really hard. And if you're a small business owner from a marginalized community, if you don't identify as male or female, if you're not male, if you're not white, if you're not Christian, and, yeah. you know, and or some combination, you know, if you're not fully able-bodied, you know, if, you, if you're if you all these, if you have these other elements um, that you're also dealing with, it's way harder. Yeah. And the data proves that over and over again. So what we've done, uh, and thanks in support, we have a fairly significant budget, Silver Lining funds half of it and raises the other half. We just announced a big million dollar um, commitment from JP Morgan Chase. GoDaddy has been an amazing partner in this from the very beginning. Um, but we're gathering 500 small business owners from marginalized communities all over the world, every continent, every background you can possibly imagine, putting them all on SLAP, uh, giving them optional access to SLAP loans, but also adding in um, connections from really high net worth and high connected people, uh, free resources from GoDaddy to build stronger digital presence, uh, storytelling training that we're then going to take those stories and tell the stories of the 500 people globally to raise their profile. Basically saying, if we can give small business owners from marginalized communities slap plus access to the other things that result in an increased barrier to success, what can we do to meaningfully change that that success rate. And not only how do we do that for 500, but as we do that for those 500, how do we almost treat it like a research project that really challenges us at Silver Lining, how to really make sure that we're as inclusive as we want to be, but then release that data publicly, uh, challenging the broader industry to think very differently about how we support small businesses from marginalized communities. So it's really beautiful work. Uh, it's hard. It's complicated. We definitely don't know what we're doing because I think that's the only you have to say the truth about that. If yeah, anyone well, of do, us says that we know how yeah, to but I mean, magically solve problems for marginalized small businesses, I mean you're lying. But we're in this beautiful journey to understand um, as much as we can, learn as much as we can. Carissa, what you're doing with Silver Lining is absolutely incredible. I love it. Like you've really thought about every aspect of small business and how you could support them. And it's, I, I think it's extraordinary. Like I've Thank never you. heard of anyone doing anything like it. <laughs> so my, my big question for you is why? What's the big why? Why did you set this up in the first place? Yeah. It's, you know, I always wish that I had like a better 
this is how it started story. I don't have a very good one. Um, so my background, I always say ignorance is bliss. That's the story of how it all started. I was 22. Sure is. Um, I was working in advertising in Toronto, Canada. I'm Canadian originally. And I was kind of had this come to Jesus moment where my background was in psychology. I was working in advertising. I was working in business development. And I thought, am I going to spend my whole life selling ads to big companies? Like who <laughs> cares? What, a, like what, what? I thought I was going to go save juvenile delinquents and save the world. And now I'm right. like, now I'm selling ads. So I started just talking to small business owners, trying to help them with business development. A, because right. I wanted to make friends. I was new to Toronto. B, I just wanted to do something that actually meant something in the world. And I really just kept having this personal realization that I was too mission driven to work in advertising, but I actually yeah. loved business development. Like I loved putting deals together. I loved looking for opportunities. And so one day I was so naive. I thought, oh, okay, I was 22. So naive thinking, all right, I'm going to go tell my boss that I don't think this is it. Like, I feel like I need to have integrity. I need to go tell him <laughs> that I probably don't want to do this forever. I'll try and find a replacement. I can stay for six months. Like I'm not in a rush, but I should just be honest, you know, little innocent me. Um, And I got walked out that afternoon because they assumed I was going to go to another ad agency. It's cutthroat. And I remember sitting in my apartment that afternoon. I mean, innocent me went to work with a job, came home at two o'clock in the afternoon without a job. I think I had a thousand dollars in my bank account. I had a mortgage payment due the next day. Um, And I thought, you know what? Like, I don't want to go get another job. Like I really want to help these small businesses. And so I decided I was going to start a company. It was going to be called Silver Lining. You know, even though it feels hard, there's always a silver lining. It was my optimistic self. Um, And I didn't know what it meant. And I didn't know how I was going to help. And I didn't even know exactly what the need was. But I just sat in my apartment and decided I was going to figure it out. And that was was 17, almost 17 years ago now. So that's how it started. All right. And so what did you do? How, tell, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey from there. How, how did you even did you get funding to start it up? How did you start it? No, that's a whole interesting conversation. I have strong opinions on funding, which we can certainly talk about. Um, so sure. the, the short version of a very long story is that I started with nothing. I did not raise capital. Uh, I thought to myself that I just needed to see if I could sell anything to figure out what the actual market opportunity was. So okay. what can I sell? How much do people buy it for? What can that tell me about the opportunity. So for a year, I sold anything to anyone, anything that anyone was willing to buy. I sold it and I did it. And I, and that was my research and development. I just literally, anything someone needed, I figured out how to sell it and how to do it. Um, and then from there I built the slap methodology. So part of my sort of process was I wanted to actually talk to a business owner a day for a year, find out what they really needed, find out what their challenges were, and then design the solutions to that. And so- Wow. You spoke to 365 business owners. I'm an overachiever, Jules. So I spoke to 400, (laughs) actually. Oh, my kitty. That is such good research. So so how did you support yourself during that year? I sold anything I could, and I ate a lot of ramen. (laughs) I ate a lot of ramen noodles. Um, I didn't. I didn't have very much money. I was- very, very humble about it all. I, I really felt like my job was not to go be fancy and certainly not to pretend I knew everything, but really was I had to talk to small businesses. I had to figure out like, why is it so hard to grow a small business? What are they all struggling with? And then my brain right. is very, very organized. So when someone said to me, well, I can't do, figure this out. And I said, well, how much would you pay someone to solve that? They said, I've got $500. It's okay. I'll take the 500. I'll solve it for you. And as I did, as I did those 400 interviews, and as I did those probably, you know, hundred 
odd jobs that these small businesses needed. That was that was how I built the slap methodology. That is still what we use today. It was saying, okay, this these seven people are saying this. So that's obviously important. How could I organize that in a structured way? Okay, these 12 people are paying me for this. So that's obviously a need they have. What does that look like to systematize that? And I and I pieced together the through lines of these 400 interviews and these probably 100 random projects I did into what is the slap methodology that's that has stood the test of time as we've innovated our business model and thousands of people have used it in 35 countries that core methodology I built in that first year is exactly it's- what we still use today that is amazing. So off the top of your head, and and uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, uh-huh. but were there three, you said there were, were there sort of three or four common themes that came out? Yeah. That, ev- every, that you really noticed that it was just happening time and time again. What were they? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think anyone's ever, no one's ever asked me that. It's a great question. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, number one, the fear that if they didn't do everything, they wouldn't have enough revenue. So right. people just trying to be everything. Everything to everyone, never sort of doing what I did, which is like, I got to do that for a little while, but then I've got to get really specific. Uh, So just trying to do too much. Definitely number one, which I think was fear driven, not opportunity driven. Um, The second thing was a real forgetfulness, not not maliciousness, but a forgetfulness that their business is actually about their customer, not about themselves. So they were trying to make, should I be on social media? I don't know. Is your customer on social media? Like who cares what you want? Where's your customer? So a real sort of forgetfulness that this is how you make decisions isn't about what you want to do. It's what your customer needs and how you can best connect with them. So that's definitely number two. The third, which blew me away and continues for the record to blow me away every day of my life, a complete lack of a financial goal. Uh, Every business owner I spoke to, I just want to make a million dollars. That was one. Or I just want to make a little bit more money and work a little bit less. Like everyone had these very vague, what I call hopes, wishes, and dreams. All right. Basically 2% of every small business I've ever met in all my years of doing this have what I consider to be a good financial goal, a valid, legitimate financial goal. So shocking how few people had named their growth and set goals um, around finances. So that was definitely number three. Um, And then number four would just be the piecemealness of what most small businesses do. Small business owners are 10 times more chaotic, frenzied, and busy than they need to be. It is chaotic, frenzied, and busy to be a business owner. I do not take that away. It's really, really the truth. Um, but it doesn't have to be as crazed as it is. And if people go, if people were more, well, if people are more organized and clear and concise in the strategies that they're using to grow their business, they can get to their end destination with a bit more ease. So those are those are certainly the through lines that I saw and I continue to see right. every day, all day long. Isn't that extraordinary? Um, okay, so what happened next? So you set it up uh, with no money. Yes. And you got started. So what what happened next? And we'll talk to, let's talk a little bit about funding because you obviously don't agree with it. How did you grow it and, and what, 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 what do you feel about funding? So... So in the broadest strokes, I think there's three ways to bring capital into your business. The best is always revenue. Always, 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 always. Because you keep the money on your own terms. You're actually selling something. You're building a business. So number one, whether you are the next Mark Zuckerberg or you want to be a part-time business owner while you raise your kids and anything in between, 
revenue is the name of the game all the time. Revenue, revenue, revenue. Uh, Second, I think, option is good debt, right? Bad debt's terrible. A lot of these sort of alternative financers are going to charge you 90, 100% interest when you look at it all said and done. Like, don't do deals like that. But if you can get access to fair, good debt, that's great. And and some businesses need it, some people don't. And then the third option is equity investment. Now, I don't think equity investment is good or bad. I just think it's a very specific vehicle for a very specific business scenario. So I think what, unfortunately, people like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, where where it sort of got us off track is that, you know, equity investment is probably the right financial vehicle for 1% of the businesses in the world. Most people right. shouldn't raise equity investment. They should keep their equity to themselves. They should focus on revenue, use good debt to you know leverage and, and make smart decisions. But because the story of the tech startup world became so flashy and sort of pop culture-y, uh, we have this culture where everyone on the planet thinks they need to raise capital. Well, no, just go sell a deal. Just go generate revenue. Um, well, that's to- totally true, actually. And, but well, there's a, there's a, a double, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on the one hand that giving away, and, and I don't think a lot of people realise that if you do raise equity and somebody ends up with a majority share of your business, which is very normal if you're trying to raise a few million, that they might say, well, we'll take 60%, that they often kick you out as the owner of the business. You do it not end up running your own all business. all the time, all yeah. the time. And, you know, when I started Silver Lining, although I was ignorant and knew so little, the one thing I was so (laughs) crystal clear on and remains the number one thing at Silver Lining today, you could ask any of our team members and they would all say it very fast because we talk all the time, is that we're small business first. We, every decision we make at Silver Lining is in the name of what's best for small businesses. Always. More important than me, even more important than our staff, certainly more important than anyone else in the world. It's what's right for the small businesses we serve. And if I had brought in an equity investment, I would no longer have had that privilege. I would have had to have, I would have, I would either have to get kicked out as a CEO or ask what's best for our investors. And, And I believe that by and large, a lot of those decisions would have been at odds for each other. What would have been best for our investors wouldn't have always had been best for our customers. And so I'm. it was really hard. Don't get me wrong. I do not recommend building a software company without investment. <laughs> you know, that is an example where equity investment is a good idea. We did it in a very alternative way. That was very much me coming from a values-based decision more than anything, more than a financial-based decision. A financial-based decision, it would have been way easier to raise capital to do what we've done. Um, right. But we didn't because of our values. And I'm so proud of that fact. It made it it made for a very hard journey. Um, but we're in this beautiful position now where we are profitable. We don't need you know investment. Uh, we are truly small business first. We have this beautiful piece of software. You know, we're operating as a software company. Uh, but we did it our way, and and I'm really proud of that. Oh well, you bl- bloody well should be because it is an incredible course, and what you've built is just so easy to use. I mean, I was lucky enough to um, join the slap school for a while and see what it was like. And I really couldn't believe that uh, for the fees that you're charging, which is what, 300 US a month, but only if you can pay it, otherwise pay what you can, is extraordinary. And I'm so glad that you didn't get investors because I'm sure they wouldn't have let you do half the things you're doing. <laughs> it's, it's true, which is, and you know, it's funny in our finance business, we of course do have an investor and we're going to bring in more investors because there's no way of to course. build that 
without investors, right? Um, yeah. But it's so interesting because even in my own, even in my own philosophy around all of this, right? That's a company that absolutely needs investors. Now, I can structure investment agreements to make sure it stays values based. Um, but I do understand even my responsibility as CEO, CEO will be different, right? I will always be small business first. That's in the investment agreement. You know, I've got collections policies, things that protect the small businesses. Um, but when you bring in other capital, there is a responsibility that shifts. I do have to run that slightly differently to make sure yeah, that, that investor yeah. capital is safe. I still say true to our values for small business first, um, but it's it is different. But I understand that and I own that. And so I think the big thing around capital is, you know, however you decide to bring capital into your business, whether it's all revenue, revenue plus debt, revenue, debt and equity, whatever combination of those. It's just being eyes wide open about the reality of what that means. Who are you beholden to? What is the responsibility you now have as the business owner? And how do you ensure that you're set up for true success? Not just phew, I can breathe because my cash flow is better for a couple of years. I bought myself some runway, but true success, right? Connecting your financial strategy to your mission and your vision and your customers, I think is really yeah. critical. Um, and there's, there's always the, you know, there's always lots of options and ways to do it, but it doesn't always have to look, you know, the tech startup way that we've sort of become enamored with. Yeah, I know, which which is also very much, um, and I guess maybe I'm just putting my hat on because I love older women, but <laughs> it's very youth focused as yeah, well. I that's feel a good that point. it's all about the young people doing startups and forget about the young people. What about the older people that are doing it with experience but still getting no love for their finances? So, I think that's a great point. I agree with you. It's a, it's also a very male point of view, right? It is very yeah, male yeah. and very young. Um, um, and I just think there's so many more interesting ways to think about business than this, you know, very narrow view of what it means exactly. to be an entrepreneur and what it means to fund a business. Exactly. So now in the course of the last 17 years, have you had any moments, I call them aha moments, but um, they can often be very challenging at the time where something looks like it's gone wrong, but you look back at it later and go, I'm so glad that happened because otherwise I wouldn't have done whatever and headed off in another direction. Have you had any of those kind of experiences over the last 16 years? Oh my God, so many. How much time do you have? <laughs> Plenty. Give me, give me two juicy ones um listen we were four hundred thousand dollars in debt at one point so be, the the Ouch. other side of not raising capital and trying to build a company like this um and also having a bleeding heart like i do and being small business first is that basically i did an investment into our first piece of software that went wrong so i just lost a hundred thousand dollars and oh, um, we had three hundred thousand dollars in receivables where small businesses couldn't afford to pay us and i wrote it off and in my naivety I was like, oh, you know, I'll just write it off. I'll be nice to them. Well, I needed that $300 to pay my bills. And so I was right. $400,000, you know, in debt and then just made some dumb choices. I basically, you know, in a panic called everyone I knew and asked for them to give me a loan crazy terms. You know, if you give me 50,000, I'll give you 66,000 in 30 days, you know, just made dumb oh deals God, in yeah. a panic and got myself into worse trouble. And it took me, it probably took me five years to, to dwell and truly pull out of that because it wasn't just the first 400,000. Wow. Then it was all the dumb debt deals I made on top of that. And the, and the, you know, sort of like the, the mistake upon the mistake upon the mistake. And then having yeah. to really put a stop to that, get really focused on revenue, 
bring in as much as I could, pay off that debt, but not do more bad deals. And so that experience was brutal uh, in every way, stressful, (laughs) terrible, but it taught me a bunch of really important lessons, right? Number one, don't over leverage. Number two, you can be heart centered, but not dumb. You're running a business like there's repercussions. Um, Number three, revenue is king. When all else is falling apart, don't go do dumb deals to save yourself. It's just pushing the problem further down the road. Try to solve the problem properly. Build a profitable business. Make sure it's sustainable. And then number four, there are moments where you need good debt. There are moments where, you know, I, I think that I was a high, high integrity, uh, good human, mission driven, not dumb, but I made dumb mistakes and then I had genuine cash issues. And so yeah. um, a lot of people would have given up in the position that I was in or filed for bankruptcy or, you know, walked away. And so I'm I'm tenacious and I didn't do those things. But if I would have had. Thank goodness. Th- thank you. <laughs> I agree now. At the time, I wasn't so sure. Um, <laughs> but if I would have had better options, if I would have had better advice, if I would have had people I felt like I could have told the truth to about how stressed I was or how bad it was. Um, if I would have been more honest, if I would have had better financing options, um, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have got so bad. And so my, I learned so much in that experience, but it also really fuels my mission to create a space where entrepreneurs can talk about the truth about money, can try to stay focused on real sustainable solutions to cash flow, not quick fixes and can get good debt if they need it. So I would say that that's probably, I mean, there's more, but that's certainly the most dramatic, um, in terms of what I've been through. Yeah, well, that that sounds like it's hellish, but yeah. but you know, I mean, I had the same thing when a guy walked away in the middle of my build. These things are sent to test us, as they say. But totally. if you come out at the other end, you do learn loads, so much. And and again, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't be as strong. I wouldn't be as compassionate. I wouldn't understand as much as I do. That's right. Um, and I wouldn't be as determined to fix it for other people. So you know, I I think it what I think it's part of my journey. I, I, and I and I don't regret it. No, absolutely not. Now you said you had loads and that there, I, I did suggest too. Is there another one, another big learning? I mean, I will. Yeah. I mean, as a woman, so I don't talk about this very often, but I had two okay. really significant business deals go sideways. Uh, one where someone wanted to be our CEO and one where someone wanted to come in as an investor. Um, right. And in both instances, I think those men had slightly ulterior motives uh, connected to me as a human, as opposed to me as a right. business owner. Um, and I think really thought that they were helping me, uh, but we're doing it in this sort of patriarchal, sexist, weird way with, you know, Pat- patronizing. Oh, totally. <laughs> little girl, let me bail you out, little girl, oh, that kind of you know, silly little woman. <laughs> and when I, and when I sort of showed my, my strength or showed my, I appreciate your offer, but I don't want it. Or yes, you can be involved in this way, but not that way. This is my business. I have boundaries. I have opinions. Um, in both instances, they really got nasty and they, and they both tried to come after me. They both tried to sue me. They both really got aggressive with me. And, and I took that all on for a lot 
of years, as women often do, I think. Yes, and I yes. and I really thought to myself, it really made me question myself, to be honest with you. I really thought, okay, am I a good person or am I actually a bad person? Am I a smart person or am I an idiot? Like, what do they know about, what am I missing about myself that got me into these situations? And I was in my 20s in both instances, young. Um, and, you know, my 40-year-old self looks back at that version of myself and thinks, oh, that poor thing. Like, she doesn't know yet well, well, what's that's, going Well, that's on. what I'm thinking. So, so who helped you? you Did know, you have people that helped you through that? I had, um, you know, it's a good question. I spent a lot of my 20s very isolated thinking that if I didn't, show the world how smart I was and how independent I was, they oh. would not take me seriously because I was so young and I've got long blonde hair and I'm, I've got, you know, a You're gorgeous, of, let's uh, be honest. Well, that's nice of you to say, <laughs> but you know, I've got like a little bubbly personality. And so I, I really had to do a lot of work to be taken seriously. Um, and I really, because of that, I think I really, again, I think I was wrong or didn't get it yet, but I really felt like if I told people what my struggles were, it would be the end of me. Then they'd know, right. then they'd know I really didn't know what I was doing. It would prove them right. And so I didn't talk about stuff like that. I didn't ask for help. And in that isolation, I just felt like the biggest loser on the planet. I felt like I was a fraud. I felt like I was lying oh, to the Carissa. world. Um, and so, you know, again, I think I have, as I get older, I a, have compassion on that version of myself. I mean, she did the best she could. Um, of course. But also, you know, really have come to reality around what sexism really is and how much there is that goes on around gender yeah. and the situations we do find ourselves in as women that men will never understand or That's even take right. accountability for. Um, and I really think that if you want to talk to those two men, they would still say, oh, she deserved it. She did this. She did that. Like, I they, I actually don't think that they would have the understanding of what was going on. Yeah. Um, but well, that doesn't surprise me at all. Right? I'm sure that, I know. Yeah. But I think yeah. the, the recognition of what we go through as women is something that I think I'm only starting to actually understand, you know, 17 years in and, and at 40, as opposed to sort of having been able to see it in lifetime as it was happening. So that, that I mean, that yeah. was a mat. Those were massively uh, sort of distressful Huge, and confidence yeah. knocking situations um, that Again, I, I look back now and I see it all so much more clearly. And I think it's, a, again, much, very much part of my story. Um, yeah. But I had to go Absolutely. through it to learn it. And I think because you're working with small business, it is important that you, as as you've said all the way through, experience what it's like. And that is, as small business owners, a lot of what we go through. And then as women, in fact, there's a, I, I, I must see if I can get you one, but there's a company here called Bee Bangles and they do bangles for women. And there's one that says, underestimate me. That'll be fun. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's so cute. We need to get you one. All right. We do. Now, along the way, um, and it doesn't matter if you can't think of anyone, but because this is about women in business, and I think a lot of women are unsung heroes, mm. I ask everyone, is have there been some women that have helped you in your career? And if so, do you want to do a little shout out and tell us a little bit about them? 
Yeah, definitely. I will say uh, that I think I've had more men than women help me actually in my career, which is a whole other conversation. I think. Well, it is, but on the other hand, there are less. There are lots of more men who are more experienced and have money than women. I I think that's a good point, and I think, and I think, I think that's right, and I think that that is changing, and I think that, um, and I think that women are getting better at supporting each other. I think, I think we were great at supporting each other for a long time. I think there's lots we can do to get better at supporting each other. So I think that's just true as a broad statement. That being said, oh my God, there's so many women that have been so fabulous to me. Um, I will shout out my mom first, to be honest. She actually came to work at Silver Lining two and a half years ago. Um, We were going through a big growth spurt. Cash flow was tight. We needed help with our people. Um, She was a stay-at-home mom, but then went and got an executive coaching certificate later in life and just came to Silver Lining and coached our staff and ran professional development and just helped me keep the ship together. Showed up in the most practical way for me um and and like sort of had her own rebirth in her 60s of sort of of the version she was going to be you know in this stage of her life so i mean that was amazing i mean she showed up in like every yeah, way she's possible so, and what's your mom's name tell us all just so that we can go and connect with her or Lorette her Reiniger is her name and she is the <laughs> vice president of professional development at silver lining she's on our executive team she's amazing uh wow. she's just totally embraced. We're a totally remote global team. Uh, she can keep up with anyone and everyone. She just turned 65. Um, and she's an integral Brilliant. part of our team. She's, in, she's been fundamental to some of the growth we've had recently. Um, wow. so that's a great, amazing example. Um, and then one thing I love, we run this impact five X program, like like you mentioned, and uh, we have what we call impact champions. And impact champions are people who make a small financial contribution uh, towards the project and then are available to basically champion the success of the 500 small businesses from marginalized communities. And so often when I've done stuff like that or I've done fundraising like that, you know, 97% of the people who get involved are men and 3% are women, let's say. Our yeah. impact champions are actually 65% women. And they're, Woo-hoo! I know, and they're just, they've all made, you know, contributions between $1,000 and $5,000, uh, show Fantastic. up, are contributing, want to want to make the world better, um, and are contributing money and time. And I just think we, we've got, I love it because I think for a long time, men have contributed money and women have contributed time. And that's yes, created that's a power true. dynamic that's just not quite right. Um, and I think that this is just, I love that. I love that little pocket of our work because I think, aha, there we are, ladies. Like, here we are. We're, we're that's right. creating a new dynamic, which I love. Which I, yeah, and I think um, I saw a post on LinkedIn from a guy talking about the big resignation and what yes. was happening and yada yada, and um, and I, re- I remember saying to him, just watch this space because there'll be a huge wave of entrepreneurial women on the back of this, I think, and um, and. Oh, God, I can't remember what I was going to say now. I was on a, I was on You're track to. You're on a roll. <laughs> I was going to give you some great insight and I've completely lost it. Anyway, all right, let's move on. So, Carissa, when somebody is as, as driven as you are, and I know that you don't have kids and all that sort of thing at the moment, how are you giving yourself time out? How do you juggle work and life and not give yourself get yourself burnt out? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not, I can't profess to be the expert on this, unfortunately, because uh, I am definitely working too much these days. Um, but what I will say is, I, I, we've talked about this. I don't think we will have kids. And um, I'm, I think, I think a lot about what I want to transfer that time and money to. So I don't yes. want to only just work 
if I don't have kids, right? If Mike and I don't have kids, but I want to think about how can I mother and nurture in other ways? How can I take 40 hours a week and $4 million over the course of 20 years that it takes to raise a kid? (laughs) And what can I do with that? That would actually meaningful impact other people. So I think a lot about my role as mother or nurturer Outside of well, you are kind of like a, well, you're kind of like a mother to all the small business owners that you're nurturing and looking after. So I can see that you're you're doing that. I'm just interested to know: is Carissa taking weekends off? Is she not working through the night? So you know? yes, it's a good question. I would say that I I'm very conscious. I think about that a lot. I'm very wellness oriented, so I try <laughs> to do a lot of interventions on myself when things are out of control. Oh, well done. Swimming is definitely my magic place. If I can swim, it all just con- it all just comes together for me. So I'm trying, I, I I know for me and behavior change science supports this. If I don't have outside structure and support to hold me accountable to wellness, um, I don't do it you myself. Let it slide. I know for yeah. sure. I know that about myself for sure. So um, I've just hired actually, I've just signed up as a member for these aqua studio classes. So I go three times a week. I've just actually hired oh, well done. one of our small businesses to be my nutrition coach and force me into a nutrition program. Um, so I'm in a phase right now of doing intervention on myself by building the pillars of behavior change around myself um, to really focus on wellness. So it's something I know, it's something I'm good at, but it's something that I really need outside structure around um, or else it goes that's out the a, window. That's a, well, that's a really good insight. So, but, uh, and a lot of this is about taking an hour here or there. Do you and Mike say, okay, Sundays are sacred and we don't do any work? We had, yes, COVID really threw us for a loop. We were in Melbourne for lots of it. We were in lockdown. Everything went out the window as we know. Well, it was uh, the only thing I can say is thank you in yeah. some ways because I got to meet you in real life and I didn't know anything about you before that. We did. COVID brought us together, which is lovely. It did. Um, <laughs> So I would say that we're reestablishing that. But yeah, in general, I am pretty good about not working on Saturday, I would say. Okay, Uh, I work hard Monday to Friday. I usually don't work on Saturday. I do everything to the extreme. So if I'm on vacation, I do not work. You couldn't make me work if I'm on vacation. Uh, If I'm with friends, I do not look at my phone. Um, So for me, it's really about building in that structure where where I am out doing something other than work. And when I'm doing that, I really am good at turning off. So it's more yeah. of a, for me, it is about being, doing whatever I'm doing all in, but then making sure that I've got enough happening in my life that I'm not just all in at work all the time, uh, which is my risk if I don't, you know, if I'm not really conscious yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, I think it sounds like you've got a pretty good balance going on and who knows what exciting things you're going to do in the future. Now, got one more question for you. Well, one and a half more questions, okay. really. The first one is... I love this question. Is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? Hmm. I'm sure there's <laughs> I love so it. many. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be business related. I mean, I've had people say that they were the first person for the Graham Norton's big red chair. And I've had, <laughs> who did I, have? I had a woman yesterday who said, you don't know about me, but I love a microphone. I love singing. I love so that. So there you go. <laughs> um, I wish that I was more creative with my answer, but here's the two that I, that I can think of off the top of my head. One is I've never okay. had a cup of coffee in my life. Um, oh my God. Same I as me. Know, That's amazing. Really? 
Yep, I, we must be one of three people in the world in the that world. are like that, I would think. Especially in Australia. Oh, my God, people love coffee in Australia. I know. Obsessed. And Melbourne. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So never had a cup of coffee Haven't in ever had one. Never. Um, yeah. That would be the first thing I can think of. The second uh, is that this is such a dumb fact, but it's like one of my proudest accomplishments in life. Um, in all of grade 12 and my first year of university, I got 100%. I never got less than 100% on any English assignment ever. Stop it. True. Stop a hundred. If anyone wants anyone to edit their articles or their research papers, I'm the girl. You're the Call woman. Me. <laughs> that is extraordinary. Wow. So those okay. are some and then the facts about me. They are brilliant facts. Now, the very last question is apropos of nothing, just because I love my iPhone. Uh, are there some useful business apps that you use on your phone that we might not have heard of? Um, and or fun apps. I don't know whether you play, but I don't think you do you know, <laughs> on your phone. That's such a good question. I'm looking at my phone right now. So I, one of the things, so I own a technology company and I am the lowest tech person on <laughs> the planet. I'm like, oh, I, I don't, don't even, so. I don't even have social media on my phone. Like I have no app. I have nothing on my phone. Um, okay, fine. Let me well, look, that answers though. the Hold question. On. I'm looking. Surely okay. I have something. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. I'm looking. Um, Maybe not. Literally, I have nothing to tell you. I'm do you use Canva? You need to go and have a little look at Canva. You'd love that. I it's do about think- how mm-hmm. graphic, being able to do graphic design in two seconds on your phone. I do. I I don't post to social media. I am like not a social media person. I would have nothing to Canva. It's about. like you don't exist. I, I know. <laughs> Talk to my marketing team. It's the it's they're the bane of their existence. They're always annoyed with me. Um, well, I'm like a low, yeah. I'm just a low-key girl. Like I, I'm looking at my phone. I use my maps app. I use my clock to set timers. I use my calculator because I'm always <laughs> running math count. and numbers. They don't count, Carissa. No, no, give up now. It's you're, kind you're of definitely... what I, Oh, you know what? Okay, I just thought of something. <laughs> okay, I have what, a ring what? called an aura ring. Oh, you URA and it sits on my yeah. finger, looks like a normal ring, but it's a fitness tracker. It's actually oh. amazing. Uh, it tracks uh, like menstrual cycle, uh, steps, heart rate, heartbeat, activity levels. Uh, they've just actually started to release stuff around tracking nutrition. Um, wow. It's amazing. So that is actually the one app I look at on my phone all the time. I'm sort of tracking my, rigorously tracking my behavior as per the, as per the science. <laughs> well, oh my God, Carissa, I just love you. I love what you're doing. I particularly love what you're doing to have impact and for women and for any small business owners out there. Now you've just told us you're a hermit, but what is the best way for people to get a hold of you and or find out more about Slap? So definitely the website, www.smallbizsilverlining.com. So S-M-A-L-L, small biz, B-I-Z or Z, depending on what part of the world you're in, uh, silverlining.com. If you want to find me, my email is just carissa at C-A-R-I-S-S-A at smallbizsilverlining.com. And if you go to the website, there's all sorts of ways to interact with us, tons of free resources. Uh, If you need anything, our commitment is if you are a small business owner and if you need anything, we will help you, uh, whether you have a slap or not. And slap, as you alluded to earlier, is pay what you can. We made a commitment when COVID hit that we didn't want money to hold anyone back from getting the structure and support that they needed to get through this difficult time. So you can sign up at whatever monthly amount you can afford to pay. Um, And even if that's not what's right for you, you just tell us what you need and we'll connect you to what we think could be right for you, you know, from our network. Um, And if there's 
anything we can do, we're in. Oh, you are so beautiful. Thank you so much. I can't wait to share this interview. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. My absolute pleasure, Carissa. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.